talk this evening about effort, effort on the path, and um, I want to tell a few stories and then talk about it more in terms of the way it works in practice. Um, I first started meditating in 1979, I was 17, I was in the University of California at Santa Cruz, and I was in two classes, and one class was a sociology class taught by Professor Herman Blake, who was a very large African-American man. And he had fabulous stories to tell. And he had this big, booming voice. And when he'd get excited about stuff, he would just, you know, roar with his voice. And, you know, he came from a family where his mother stayed up at night so that the kids would not get eaten by rats. So he was born in a ghetto in New York. And in his family, it was like, really successful if somebody was a butler, you know, because at least if they were a butler, they weren't in jail, they weren't dead, they had food to eat. It was like really good news, okay? So for him to come from that kind of environment and end up, you know, going to university and getting a PhD and becoming a professor was like a big thing. And his passion, you know, was on activism and social justice and civil rights and and he had incredible stories to tell. And, you know, I would sit and listen to him, and my whole body would kind of quake and quiver. Because that's not a world that I came from, you know. I didn't grow up like that, and I didn't have that kind of compelling need for activism, you know. It wasn't my experience. And when he spoke, he spoke like as if his like blood was on fire. I mean, it was like, you know, there was such a passion that would come through him. And I could see that part of what was motivating him was is like this sense of you had to because it hurt too much not to, you know? This effort that was coming out of this passion, born out of you've got to because it is simply no option, you know? And then I had a Jack in this class who was teaching a class in religions of India. And Jack was a visiting lecturer and had a totally different kind of demeanor and presentation. And with him, you know, he was very clear, but I also had a sense of effortlessness, you know, that you did because of the love of doing it. You didn't do it for a reason. You did for the love and the joy of doing it. I go back and forth between Jack's class and Irma's class and Jack's class and Irma's class. And even though they're teaching on different subjects, on the one hand, and myself, I felt like they're speaking about the same topic, you know, about freedom, and freedom in different manifestations of our life, our worldly experience. And even though one had this burning, com- compelling urge to act, 
and the other had this sense of smooth effortlessness. To me, they were two sides of the same thing, you know. And throughout my life, there have been times when I have needed to absolutely grind the nose to the grindstone, you know, dig in and stay with something until there's resource and skill and capacity and things shift. And there have been other times when what I've needed to do is completely empty out and surrender, get out of the way completely and let something unfold. Now, in the teachings of the path, there are very clear instructions on effort, and there's also very clear traditions on effortlessness. And the people who really are into effort think that that's the path, and the people who are really into effortlessness think that's the path. And any time you fix to any idea about what the path is, you're missing the path. Because the path is not something that you can encapsulate in a fixed view. The path is a, a living, responsive interaction with what's arising. And sometimes we need to make an enormous amount of effort. And sometimes we need to totally get out of the way and let things unfold from a place of grace. Now another image that's also useful is like the image of a rocket ship. So, you know, in order for a rocket ship to launch, it takes, you know, a gazillion people unbelievable amounts of time to engineer whatever is needed to get the bits and pieces and the parts and all of the fuel and everything together and to launch it. And then when it's launched, it takes an incredible amount of fuel and energy to get through the atmosphere. Once it's gotten through the atmosphere, it falls off. Bits of it fall off because it doesn't need to have so much mass. And then what's left can one can sail through in a kind of effortless way. All right. So in our normal normal ordinary human consciousness, you know, there's all kinds of ways in which we think about ourselves, we experience the world, the way we perceive things. It's like the kind of atmospheric drag that we have to get through. And, you know, it weights us down, it pulls us down. You know, it pulls us into something sometimes people experience it as heavy or as difficult or as challenging or as whatever. And, you know, this is not a joke. I mean, getting through the atmosphere is no joke. Getting through the atmosphere of our ordinary human consciousness is not a small task for most people. And there are, like, so many different kinds of instructions of things that are really helpful to harness the energy, to be clear about our motivation, to get clear about why we're doing this and what we're, what we're going towards so that we can stay focused and not distracted into 10 million different parts and pieces of, you know, it's this and that and this and that and this and that and this and that and this is exciting and that's exciting, you know, which is what happens to most of us most of the time, you know, our attention is pulled and distracted all over the place. So to have a clear sense of what is possible in human experience in terms of opening up from ordinary human perception and experience into experiencing something that is clear and luminous and loving and not constricted and not suffering and not despondent and not depressed and not anxious, you know, that there's actually a way of being that is like a way of being just pure presence, pure being. And allowing that to be manifest in all of the different ways that it needs to take shape. You know, making tea, sweeping the floor, 
getting up in the morning, making bed, talking to people, resting, writing, washing. But it's not coming from a place driven by fear or anxiety or compulsion or anxiety or needing to impress or needing to get rid of. It's coming from a place of pure being, of stillness, of love, of compassionate action in the world. And so the kind of instructions on, all right, how do you do this? And so, you know, the Buddhist teaching is fabulous because it has a really, really clear map and very, very clear instructions. And so it says, you know, start with precepts, start with generosity. So to start with generosity is to give material requisites, to give financial resources, to give of your time so that you feel plugged in to the act of giving. You actually feel and experience yourself as a generous person. And to when you start experiencing yourself as a generous person, that gives you leverage to work with some of the gunk that we have to get through, some of the atmospheric layers that we have to traverse. Okay. Because when we start seeing that stuff and we don't have any leverage with it, we... <laughs> You know, get me out of here. <laughs> you know, the kind of murk and muck and the kind of complexity and the difficulties in our own minds and our relationships with the people that we're close to. And it's like, oh my God, you know. So to have access to our own goodness gives us some capacity to navigate and to weather and to work with the things that arise. And then, the, you know, the context around precepts of living with integrity of not taking things that don't belong to you, to be clear about your own sexual body and relating to other people as sexual beings and how to do that with kindness and with respect and with friendship. So it's not just, you know, a, an experience of wanting desire, but it's an experience of wanting to connect with another human being, you know, and the huge difference between what these things are like, energetically as well as what happens when we're with another person in that way. And then in terms of the way that we speak, you know, not to speak in a way which is harsh or divisive or slanderous. And to be careful about the kind of substances that we use, that they're not confusing or clouding our minds. So, I think it was it last week? It was last week. Yeah, I was talking about Trumpa. You know, so Trumpa was this like flaming alcoholic. I mean, brilliant meditation teacher, but you know, just unbelievable alcoholic. He died from alcoholism. And so here's somebody who was a couple courts low on precepts in some departments, you know. He couldn't work with people who were smoking dope. He said the delusional factor of dope was so intense he couldn't work with them. So it's like if Trumpa can't work with people who <laughs> are smoking dope. <laughs> you know, it puts a little kind of a, you know, I don't know what it does, it puts a, a, a reality check on the fact that, you know, it's available and legal and you can do it and nobody cares and it actually has quite an impact, you know, on the way we think and perceive and cognize. And so none of this is from a place of, well, let's do it because let's be goody-goody spiritual people. It's like, all right, so if we're wanting to tilt the balance so that we have some more capacity to get through these layers so that we can actually open up to what our original nature is, then all of this supports from that angle, right? So it's practical. It's tilting the balance in the direction of what supports clarity. Now, I live as a nun and have for many years, and... 
you know, I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't take drugs and you know, I don't have sex and I don't have all kinds. I don't listen to music. I don't go dancing. You know, there's lots and lots of things. And so the life is totally set up to be focused on waking up. Like that's the goal. That's the job. That's the job description. Mm-hmm. And, and even with it as absolutely clear and focused as my lifestyle is, it's just it's like, well, sometimes it really isn't easy, you know. So if you take maximum potential, you know, still we're dealing with the nature of ignorance and how cunning ignorance is. Like ignorance is totally not stupid. It's totally not stupid. And it will co-opt any single thing it can and use it for its own purposes to look like something that's wise or sexy or whatever. Anything that we feel compelled by, it will take on that disguise. Anything. If you feel like being incredibly spiritually adept, it can look like that. You know, Ignorance can take the form of just being completely absorbed in reading the suttas. Because then reading the suttas becomes a way of escaping what's actually happening, rather than a way of opening to what's happening. And that's what ignorance loves. You know, It does not like to be present with what's happening. It likes to avert it. So the Buddhist path, the teachings are remarkable in their clarity and in their extensiveness and in the resources that they offer. And there comes a time in practice where we have to let go of of our efforts. We have to let go of our wanting. We have to even let go of our wanting to be free of wanting. And, you know, and so, you know, we have to be careful that we don't let go of wanting too soon. You know, so Ajahn Chah used to use the example. He says, all right, so when you buy a banana, you buy the peel. Why do you buy the peel? You don't eat the peel. Why do you buy the peel when you buy a banana? Well, if you throw away the peel too soon, then the banana rots. So you've got to keep the peel even though you don't eat the peel because it keeps the banana from rotting. And when you're ready to eat the banana, you throw away the peel. Right? So we take up the aspiration and the, and the practices of making effort so that when we're ready to let go of them, we can do. That's a little Bodhi treat. Gentle. <laughs> <laughs> So that when we can take up the practices, so that then there's a time when we're ready to let go of them, we let go of them, and we've got the lovely banana, it's not rotten, it's fresh. Yeah. So then there's this whole other practice of letting go of effort. And that's something that we also need to know about. We need to know that there are times when what's needed is not to try, and not to do, and not to get, and not to focus, and not to try and make it different than the way it is. But to just empty out and let it be. You know, just let it be, let it be, let it be, let it go. Let it go. Just completely let it go. And this is more like an experience of grace. This is not about me doing it, but letting the it unfold through me. You know. And, you know, they're both needed. And it's not like there's a map or a formula where you can say, well, you need this amount of time of doing this, and then you do that. Because in the course of a day, you can be really clear that you need to engage in certain kind of practices. And then there's times where you need to stop engaging and efforting and just open up and let go. 
So what is needed in the practice is to be able to learn to trust oneself, to begin to get a sense of a rudder, a gauge of how we can measure when we're on track and when what we're doing is we're fighting with ourselves. You know, we've created some kind of a battle and we're at war. And so, you know, certainly having other people to talk with, having teachers to talk with, having contexts that really support this deep inquiry is tremendously valuable. You know, being around people who've gone a couple steps further down the road than you are, they can give you some support and guidance and encouragement when you feel like you're in a nowhere land, you know? But ultimately, you've got to come back to trusting yourself, you know? Because no matter how brilliant the teacher is, you know, they're not inside of you. They don't live with you. You know, they just, there's only a certain amount of time that you'll be able to have contact with them. And that was true even living in the monastery. So here we were in the monastery living with people all the time, 24 hours a day. It wasn't very often we got a chance to talk on this kind of level about what was going on in our practice. So we create supports, we create community, we create opportunities to discuss, we create practice opportunities so that we can work with both sides. Both sides of making an effort and letting go of effort, making an effort, letting go of effort, making an effort, letting go of effort. We know that both are part of our practice. Jack and Herman had two expressions of effort and both of them were needed. There are times when you do stuff because it hurts too much not to. And there's times when it's absolutely effortless. It's like you're just standing still and the world is coming at you. There's just emptiness and stillness as an expression of dynamism, as an expression of love, as an expression of... There's no duality. There's just all of it has come together in an expression of presence and an expression of being. You know, it's just... And it isn't, you know, it takes time for that level of practice to become so stabilized that it is um, unshakable. You know, for most people who have that kind of realization, it's in and out and in and out and in and out and in and out until it becomes just stable. So even in the experience of awakening or realization or enlightenment, we still have to work with what's arising. And we can get really, you know, cranky with thinking like, come on, I've already seen through this. How come this is experiencing again, you know? Like I've already been through this layer, you know? But it's like, it's like, it's what's happening. It's not our idea about how things should be, you know? And it's humbling. I mean, absolutely humbling. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been in, on my knees or in tears because it's like, oh my God, this again? <laughs> you know, but, you know, if it's here, then it's this again. And it needs to be met with wisdom and compassion, not with an idea how it's supposed to be. You know, so I was walking in England and uh, in the monastery at Chithurst and the sky was completely blue. There was absolutely not a single cloud in the sky to be seen anywhere. 
and it was raining. And so, you know, you had drops that you could see them, but it was raining. And I was walking with somebody, and they said, it can't be raining. It can't be raining. There's no clouds in the sky. It cannot be raining. But it was raining. <laughs> and we do this all of the time. I can't be experiencing this. You know, it, this cannot be what's happening. This cannot be, but it's what's happening. So we have to learn how to know the difference between our idea based on our view of how it's supposed to be and our capacity just to meet what's what is. And the more we wake up, the more simple it is. It's just raining. <laughs> you know, it's just raining. And I don't understand why it's just raining with a blue sky, but it's raining. So I have to deal with it. If it's raining, it's raining. So understanding effort and getting the feeling for both of these is really fundamental for the path. Absolutely fundamental. Because, you know, the process of waking up is like, you know, for most people it's not a weekend project. You know, it's a lifelong journey. And it'll go through times where it feels exhilarating and times when it feels absolutely boring and times when it feels like nothing is happening. It can be a huge, you know, a life journey is not something that is easily um, categorized in terms of it's this or that. It's many things. And the same is true with understanding the nature of ordinary mind and coming into a level of returning to our essence, original mind, original essence, where there isn't confusion, there isn't conflict, there isn't obstruction. There's fluidity, there's flow, there's presence, there's care, there's kindness, there's love. And there's no suffering. So one of the things which I feel really blessed about is this is that I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that waking up is possible. I don't doubt freedom. I have all kinds of other doubts, but I don't doubt that. The path totally works. It totally brings about the kinds of fruits that are described. And so, you know, then for each of us, it's a question of, well, what's important, what do we value, what do we want to spend time with, how do we want to make this part of our life or not, and, you know, and, you know, how do we want to spend our time? So enough for a little reflection. I think we can have some tea and then have a discussion afterwards.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.